Thank you so much for joining us here at the First Alert Desk on Atlanta News First Plus. We want to continue to bring you your latest digital coverage of the latest stories happening out of DeKalb County. And it is none other than Decatur Dish Episode 5 this week. It's a weekly segment that we like to bring you to really take you into DeKalb County and follow along all the community stories, the great work that's happening in one of Atlanta's, Metro Atlanta's most developing counties. And this week we thought with the holiday ahead, uh, the rain outside right now, we thought a good reminder for you all about road safety. Now, Atlanta is is up there for being one of the most dangerous uh, cities to live in uh, on the roads, especially. Uh, we have our uh, Decatur, Decaturish editor and uh, founder, actually, Dan Wisenhunt, who spoke with Propel ATL. They're a group that are pushing for safer streets in Metro Atlanta. I'm going to take you out to an interview that they did together. But before that, let's take you through some of of the statistics of some of Atlanta's most dangerous streets. You might recognize them. Uh, starting out with this one, Covington Highway and South Indian Creek, one of Atlanta's most dangerous streets. We also have Memorial Drive and College Avenue. Candler Road is a familiar one at Ember Drive. Glenwood Road at Columbia Drive. Moreland Avenue at Thurman Drive. And Flat Shoals Parkway at Flakes Mill. They really hold the title for Atlanta's most dangerous streets. And there is now a big push from city officials, uh, specifically in the city of Decatur, to create a planning process funded by a grant that can yield recommendations that will prevent future pedestrian crashes. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, founder and editor of Decaturish, Dan Wisenhunt, spoke with Propel ATL about the road to safer streets. Welcome back. Uh, special episode of the Decatur Dish. We are chatting with Rebecca Cerna, who is executive director of Propel ATL. Rebecca, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank so, you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. So real quick, tell us a little bit about Propel ATL. What, what is that organization? What do they do here in Atlanta? Propel ATL is a nonprofit advocacy organization. And what we're trying to do is transform our streets into places where people can walk or bike or ride transit and have access to sustainable transportation options. And how did you get involved in this, this advocacy work briefly? I was working as a paralegal and I traveled to some other cities around the country. And I was a MARTA rider growing up in DeKalb County, lifelong MARTA rider. And I just realized, oh, hey, a lot of other places have better public transportation than we do. Life could be easier if we had that. So I got started as a transit advocate. And um, I think people probably realize that takes a long time to affect change in, in the public transportation sphere in Atlanta. So um, I was also very bad at catching the bus and I started riding my bike to get to the train station and just kind of got hooked on the ease, the um, joy of being in motion on a bike and how it kind of opened up the city to me. And so we're, we're here talking mainly because you produced your annual report, uh, which covers 2022. How long have you been producing this report uh, at Propel? This is our second year of doing an annual fatalities report, and we focus on the deaths of people who were walking or biking or riding scooters using wheelchairs to get around and were hit by cars and tragically killed. So is, in your opinion, is it safe to be a pedestrian in Atlanta right now? It's all relative. I think most people rely on cars in Atlanta to get around. And so we discount how dangerous that is. 
um, a family friend of ours was killed in a car crash just a few weeks ago on the highway. And there are um, pretty high traffic fatalities overall in our region and in our state and in the United States as a whole when you compare us with other industrialized countries. So really transportation could be a lot safer than it is in general. So according to your report in 2022, there were 38 pedestrian deaths, which was 23% over the, the deaths recorded in 2021. What do you attribute that to? Is there anything you can attribute it to? It's complicated, but I think what a lot of people point to is the fact that during the pandemic, people who were driving got used to less traffic and more free-flowing conditions. They started speeding. Um, and after the pandemic, as more cars were out there on the road, more people were walking or biking, um, you had more potential for, for conflict. And at the same time, we hadn't done the work to transform our streets into places that are safe environments for people to get around. Uh, so DeKalb has seen 302 pedestrian deaths since 2023, or 2013, excuse me. How, how does that rank, how does that compare to some of our other communities in Atlanta? Is that about consistent, higher, lower? It seems to be a bit higher than some other areas. Uh, if you look at a per county basis, the pedestrian deaths per 100,000 people. Um, in Georgia, overall in the state, it's about three and in DeKalb, it's about four. And Georgia is actually the eighth most dangerous uh, nationally by that metric. So we're already in a state that is pretty dangerous uh, for people walking. Who's the most dangerous? I don't know off the top of my head. Um, it's usually up. Florida or California though. Florida, California. Well, according to the report between 2011 and 2021, uh, Atlanta averaged 12.81 traffic deaths per 100,000 people, more than Chicago, uh, more than Seattle. Why does Atlanta have more of those fatalities than larger cities with more population? One thing that is a, a major factor is those cities are places where there's a lot more transit. So you have more of a grid system as well with the street network. Um, it's easier to make those streets safer than with our massive seven lane roads that are winding and, and hilly and um, a lot of them built to look like a racetrack. And when you have a street that looks like a racetrack, people tend to drive on it like it's a racetrack. So cities like Seattle and Chicago also were earlier adopters of the idea of Vision Zero, which is the safe systems approach that says, let's take a comprehensive look at our transportation networks and our streets and try to design systems that prevent these crashes from happening in the first place and for the crashes that do happen because people make mistakes, let's make those crashes happen at a lower speed so they're much less likely to be deadly. So they adopted Vision Zero several years before the city of Atlanta did. Who, who came up with Vision Zero? Where does that idea originate? Um, the, the name Vision Zero for that concept uh, came out of Sweden and um, has been in place in many European countries for a number of years, and they've seen pretty dramatic decreases in traffic fatalities since adopting this approach. So uh, more than two thirds of the deaths last year occurred in predominantly black neighborhoods. Do we know why? One of the biggest reasons is um, if you look back at some of the policies that were in place, things like redlining that cut off access to mortgages and financial services. Um, they led to a lot of disinvestment in black communities in Atlanta and throughout the United States. 
And so you see fewer sidewalks in these communities. Um, and also because of um, racism in our political system, black communities and communities of color had less access to political power. So they were less likely to be able to fight off things like highways coming through their communities and um, large, wide, fast streets. Um, so you saw policies where highways were very intentionally placed so that they would displace black residents in Atlanta and again throughout the United States and cut them off from downtown business districts. What, in your opinion, um, could be done right away to, to improve conditions in those neighborhoods and communities? Like, what are some simple things we can do right now to make the streets safer? Sure. One of the um, quickest and most low-cost solutions when it comes to safety is called a leading pedestrian interval. So you've probably seen these if you're walking around. You press the button to get the pedestrian signal, and you get that signal a few seconds before the cars get the green light. And what that does is if you're walking or using a wheelchair to cross the street, it makes you more visible, and it reduces that likelihood of a conflict for turning cars. And it's been shown to dramatically decrease pedestrian crashes. So that's something that we're advocating for in Atlanta and throughout metro region um, because it's something that can be implemented pretty quickly and pretty low cost. It's not a cure-all, but it's a great start. Let's, let's talk for a second about the way the media covers pedestrian crashes. And we, we fall into this trap a lot ourselves. We get uh, the press releases from the police department and the police officials always say it's an accident. They never say it's a crash. And so we have to mm -hmm. change that word. Why do you think that policing and coverage and all of the things in the world that we live in seem really tilted towards the point of view of the, the driver and not as much uh, the pedestrian who is more at risk in that situation? A lot of our systems are really set up around driving. Um, not just transportation, but work and school. And um, as you mentioned in the media, um, because we are such a car-centric city, I think most people tend to adopt that perspective. But we have large percentages of households that don't have access to a car. And then we have a lot of other folks who are kind of pushed into the decision to buy a car because they don't live in places that are safe or welcoming to walk. And that can be a real burden on their household budget. Um, but what we see, I think, in a lot of these media reports and in investigations is people just coming from that driver perspective. And until you've really walked a mile in someone's shoes, it's a little bit harder to have empathy for what it's really like to be a person out there walking or biking in our, in our region today. And it's hard. It's not easy. We haven't, we haven't set it up so that it's really uh, a great place for people to do these things that are um, they're really desirable. You know, the walkable communities we do have, uh, they tend to be worth more to people. And I think that is the value that we place on just being people. It's natural for, for us to be physically in motion. So let's talk about some of the, the problematic areas in DeKalb County uh, that you identified. Uh, you, you pulled some things out for us that we wanted to, to just talk about it. So the first one, uh, Covington Highway at South Indian Creek. What, what is going on there at that uh, intersection? Well, a lot of these streets are built with many, many more lanes than they really need for the amount of car traffic that they have. Um, and we know that the more lanes you add, the more traffic you get. Anytime you add two additional lanes, one in each direction, you double the risk of pedestrians being hit by cars. 
So you've got that very wide crossing distance going on, and that's a big factor. Why is that, are we not intentional about pedestrian safety when we're designing? Like when there's a big mixed use that comes in, like one of the things that we're going to be talking about is uh, Scott and Blackman. Mm -hmm. There's a, a big mixed use development that went in. There was a, a pedestrian who was hit and killed there last year. Why are we not more intentional on the front end when we do these big mixed use projects and we invite people to live, work and play in our communities, but we don't provide the infrastructure to support that? That's a great question. I think as our region is redeveloping, it's something we really need to address more uh, proactively and get out in front of because you have a lot of these corridors that were really built for a very different time um, and they were entirely built around the car. Um, you can see on many of these streets the dirt path or the goat path, sometimes it's called, where the desire line is there. People are walking and they've worn a dirt path in the grass on the side of these roads and they don't have a sidewalk. How can we have a seven lane road where we've built so much space for people driving cars and literally no space at all and no consideration for people outside of them? It just it doesn't make any sense from a human perspective. So. It's something that we really need to change um, at the state, regional, and local levels. So some of the other uh, roads, th this might be familiar to our viewers, uh, Memorial Drive and Memorial at College Avenue was one, Candler Road at Ember Drive was one, Glenwood Road at Columbia uh, is another one, uh, Moreland Avenue at, uh, looks like, Thurman Drive mm -hmm. is one. I need to read my own handwriting. And, and Flat Shoals Parkway at uh, Flakes Mill. What, what about these roads stands out to you from a design perspective? Is there anything in particular, any road intersection in particular that jumps out as something that's in dire need of, of change? Yeah, if you look at some of the land uses, what's going on around these intersections, you tend to see MARTA stops, for example. So a lot of folks are relying on public transportation to get around and they're having to cross five, six, seven lanes of traffic to get to the bus stop. And unfortunately, our bus service is not what it should be either. So a lot of buses come once every 30, 40, 45, even every hour. And so as a bus rider, I'm very motivated to catch that bus because I don't want to miss my job. And so sometimes people are um, just not in an environment where they can cross the street safely to get to the bus so that they can get to work on time. So that's one of the factors. Um, some of these locations, you also have universities, high schools, young people, they're less likely to have access to a car. So you have more people that are walking and exposed to this risk. But again, these streets haven't been designed for them. They've been designed for people in cars. Um, some of the, the streets that you mentioned um, also have really long distances between crosswalks. And so if you don't have a safe place to cross that's got a signal and you know the cars are gonna stop, then that's something that's really a risk factor as well. How, how long does it take to get something done on a local road versus a state road? Because I know that's an issue that comes up a lot when we talk to local leaders. Mm -hmm. the, the refrain that we get is, well, that's a state road mm -hmm. and GDOT has their own way of doing things. What in your experience is, is the difference between local cities addressing their own issues and what, what you can do with a state road? Well, one thing about the state is they have become in recent years much more proactive and attentive to safety concerns because again, Georgia is ranked so high when it comes to um, some of these dangerous roads. 
And so they have what they call quick response projects. Now in transportation, quick is relative. That's right. an 18-month project right. versus a seven-year uh, time frame. But where there are these pedestrian crash hotspots where a lot of people are getting hit or at risk of being hit, they are able to deliver projects more quickly, I think, than people have come to expect um, from past experience. So we're starting to see some very welcome change in that arena. Um, Candler Road is a place where the state um, safety staff has come in and put in signalized pedestrian crossings, and they've seen a really big decrease in people being hit by cars in the areas around those crossings. So uh, we need more of that, and we need local governments to go to the state and say, hey, we have a clear safety problem here. We want you to do something about it. Because once you have that political support, it becomes so much easier for the state to take action. We talked about sort of these brick and mortar solutions, you know, crosswalks, pedestrian beacons. What are some policy solutions to these problems? Because I hear things like a citywide speed limit of 25 miles an hour or no right turns on red. Mm -hmm. And I don't know enough about any of these solutions to speak intelligently about them, but you do. Uh, what, what do you think are some policy things that we can do aside from building new crosswalks and putting new uh, you know, beacons in and things mm -hmm. like that. What are some, some policy solutions? You really want the policy to go hand in hand with the infrastructure change. So things like no right on red, that is something that's got a proven background of reducing crashes. But you also need to make sure that those intersections have enough site visibility so that people can see, is there a car coming? Um, and similarly, uh, what was the other policy you mentioned? Uh, we talked about right turns are 25 mile an hour oh, speed, speed limits. Limit. Yeah, yeah, speed limits are a great example. There is data showing that if you reduce the speed limit, you don't necessarily get everyone to obey the speed limit. We know that. But you bring down those top outlier speeds. People tend to speed relative to the speed limit. So a lot of people will put in their head 10 miles over. So if it, the speed limit is 35, now they're going 45. 45 is an extremely deadly speed. If you hit someone in your car and you're going 45 miles per hour, they are much more likely to die as a result of that crash than if you were going 25 miles per hour. Um, so bringing down the speed limits can help, but you really have to change the infrastructure as well. So do things like narrow the lane widths or shorten the crossing distance. Um, put the street on a safety improvement project that will shrink the number of lanes. Um, so you really need the policy and the infrastructure to go hand in hand. Well, we're out of time for this segment, uh, but I do appreciate, first of all, the work that you do in bringing awareness to this issue. And I appreciate you sharing some of your time today to talk to us about what's going on. And I hope you'll consider joining us again as some of these projects move forward. And maybe we can go in depth and do a deep dive on some of these specific projects that are going on in our community. So I thank you, Rebecca. To. Thank you so much.